Thank you and welcome to part two of this new series, The Power of Everyone. You know, extraordinary things can happen when everyone pulls together. Isn't that right? And uh, last week, Dave gave a great start to the series and he gave some examples from social clubs and sports clubs uh, of things that can happen when everyone pulls together. I think he illustrated with football teams. But you know, this isn't just true of trivial things, it's true of things that really last and matter as well, like rugby teams, for example. Amen? You know, the Six Nations has just started and... uh, I I was watching the scrum. You know when in rugby there is a scrummage? Apparently there was a BBC website that showed that when these eight players bind together, the power of everyone, if you like, that the force that goes through that scrum is the same as a head-on car crash at 30 miles an hour. Extraordinary, isn't it? That force, the power of everyone, it's the same as two musk oxen colliding head-on. It's the same as giving a piggyback to a rhino, which I didn't quite understand as much, but the power of everyone. It's amazing what can happen when everyone pulls together. And on a more serious note, the early church in the book of Acts is what this series is based on. It's an extraordinary story of the power of everyone. Last week, we looked at the power of everyone devoted They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to prayer, to communion. When everyone's devoted, amazing things can happen. But if last week, verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, if last week was everyone devoted, if you like, their actions, what they did, this week we move on to verse 43, which is about the atmosphere in which they did everything that they did. Verse 43, we read simply this phrase, Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe. The atmosphere in which they were devoted to teaching was an awesome atmosphere. Now, I know as I say the word atmosphere, it can sound perhaps a little bit nebulous or vague. But even though we can't see it, there is an atmosphere in every room of people, isn't there? When you walk into a room, you can, with a little bit of sensitivity, even some of us British men, we're able to sensitively discern that there is an atmosphere in this room. If it's a good atmosphere or a bad atmosphere, you know an atmosphere when you come into one. If you'd met with the early church in the book of Acts, you would have walked into an atmosphere, an awesome atmosphere in the presence of God. An atmosphere, I think, in this passage characterized by two things. The first was it was a rejoicing atmosphere. In verse 46, we read that they had glad hearts praising God. The first thing that would have struck you as you came in was these are rejoicing people. Literally, it it could be translated glad hearts, extreme joy. Isn't that a great Christian quality? Extreme joy. You see, these early Christians, some of them in the room, had literally witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had physically seen him back from the dead. And so when they met, they met to rejoice in the victory of Jesus. Like when sports fans leave a stadium, they have just witnessed the result and they wear the result on their faces. If you've ever seen sports fans leading a stadium, you will know who won and lost. Just look at them. Now, if you looked at the early Christians, you would know their team wins (laughs) because Jesus Christ has won the victory and they celebrate it. His victory is our victory. 
Again, as the team on the pitch represent the fans in the stadium, if they win, we win. And it's the same with Christ, isn't it? Through his death and resurrection, his victory is our victory. The thing you should have noticed today is this. We rejoice with extreme joy. Jesus Christ has won. Amen? Rejoicing. But you notice that the other aspect of the atmosphere, these two things combine in an explosive way. It's rejoicing and reverence. Everyone was filled with awe. The early church met with a palpable sense of God's presence in the room. There was a healthy fear and trembling as they met with holy reverence in the presence of an almighty God. Now we need to bring these two together, rejoicing and reverence. If you only have one, the atmosphere is not right. Have you noticed this? If you have a lot of reverence but no rejoicing, the atmosphere is too heavy. You may have been in services or met Christians and you come away from the atmosphere thinking, did their team win? (laughs) It's not enough sense of joy. But if you have rejoicing without reverence, the atmosphere can almost be too light, too trivial. It's possible with Christianity to become almost over-familiar, a bit complacent or casual with the whole thing. Today we meet in the presence of an awesome God. And we need to cultivate then an atmosphere of reverence. Now I believe that the Western church, Western Christianity, this is a a corrective measure now, a corrective balance, a prophetic word that we need to have a fresh sense of reverence upon our spirits. We are in the presence of an awesome God. How do we cultivate this then? Well, firstly, quite simply, if we're going to be a people filled with awe, We first need to meet the awesome God. Meet the awesome God. As I say that word awesome, I'm conscious that that word in our culture has rather lost its significance. Would you agree? Our culture has taken the word awesome, I think a word that really belongs to God, and we've started using it about all kinds of lower and lesser things. Since preparing this message, I suppose my ears have been fairly attuned. And I've heard this word used, awesome, for ice cream, (laughs) A film that somebody watched and the speed of BT Infinity Broadband. (laughs) Now, I blame the Americans, personally. Forgive me if you're American, I just, I I jest. But, you know, awesome has almost become an Americanism, hasn't it? I remember, um, and it's lost its significance. I remember preaching in America, in an American church, and uh, after I preached, someone came up to me, and I was so encouraged with their response. They, They just looked at me, and they beamed, and they said, that was awesome. And I was, I was so thrilled until my wife, who is American, uh, she sort of almost translated it. She said, you do know that word in America means sort of average. You know? <laughs> that was average. That was awesome. You know, if they'd said that was totally awesome, then it would have been, yeah, good. <laughs> Awesome's kind of lost its awe. Would you agree? When we can use that word for things that we can buy with our money, we know that we're in a culture that's lost God. Awesome is a word about meeting God. You know, human beings, we as human beings, we were made to be in a state of awe in the presence of a glorious and holy God. And when we lose that, we go looking for awesome experiences in all kinds of other places. You see a culture around us that will spend a lot of money on extreme sports or exotic holidays or 3D movies or theme park rides, seeking to experience again Awe or something awesome, something beyond ourselves. 
I read a fascinating article called The Loss of Awe in the Age of Awesome. Uh, And part of the article said this, As religion wanes, experience is the new faith. And we are all like refugees fleeing from the mundane. But behind this quest for the big, the beautiful, and baffling is a disconcerting sense that wonder in the age of the bucket list is under attack. In an era where a child only has to hold a five-inch screen in front of their face to gorge themselves on photoshopped images and 3D videos, or has started to feel increasingly elusive. We live in a culture that's lost the awe in awesome. The way to put it back is to meet an awesome God. The reason that these early Christians were filled with awe is because only days earlier they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. The awe came from the day of Pentecost. Let me read you their encounter with an awesome God. This is in chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. God on the day of Pentecost manifests his powerful presence in audible and visible ways, as if to communicate how awesome is the God that these early Christians were meeting. Firstly, in audible sound, did you notice this? The sound of a violent wind came from heaven. God came as a tornado, as a hurricane over their heads. Literally in the Greek it reads, it was like the sound of a mighty roar. Now, I don't know about you, but wind remains one of the most powerful forces on planet Earth. Have you noticed that as humans, however civilized and developed we are, we can harness the wind, but you cannot stop it. You cannot control it. You cannot even direct it. It's a beautiful analogy for God, isn't it? He is the untamable, uncontrollable, irresistible God. You know, as human beings, you've got a choice to make. You can harness his power by inviting him in the name of Jesus into your life, but you'll never control him. He is like a tornado. He is like a hurricane. But you notice he's also merciful to these early Christians because if this force had actually come against them, it would have destroyed them. But what we hear is not that they felt the power of the wind, but that they heard the sound of the wind. The sound of a violent wind came from heaven. As I say, literally what it says is that it was like a mighty roar over their heads. As if the lion of heaven, the king of heaven, came out of heaven and roared over his people to communicate to them that this awesome God, I am with you. What a moment that must have been for those early Christians. The power of God roaring out of heaven. And yet they were sheltered and safe in his presence. That is awesome. The other week I was climbing a mountain in Wales. And um, as I was climbing this this mountain, it was a very windy day. Uh, So windy that I didn't think we would be able to reach the summit. And indeed we wouldn't have been able to. Except for the fact, I'll use my Bible as a visual aid here. But as we were walking along the ridge, 
the wind that was coming so violently as a hurricane. It was coming, but it was hitting the, the ridge of the mountain and being deflected just over our heads. So as you walked along the ridge, you could hear the roar above your head of a hurricane, and yet you were protected in this lip, in this lip of the wind. I tell you, it was an awesome experience. Why? Because you know that you're in the presence of a force that if it came against you, it would destroy you. And yet you are safe and sheltered in his presence. That is the early Christian experience. This God is for us and roars his awesome power and presence over us. The wind was audible, but do you notice then the fire? It came even closer. The fire came to rest on each of them, tongues or flames of God's holy fire. You know, these are physical signs. God, of course, is not wind, and he is not fire. But this is what's, what theologians call a theophany. There's a big word for you, a theophany. Literally, that word means a manifestation of God. God, who is spiritual, on occasion in the Bible, in important moments, he manifests his presence in physical forms. The ultimate example of this Exodus chapter 3, Moses, God appears to Moses in the form of flames in a bush. And to demonstrate his eternal presence and power, the bush does not burn up, though the fire of God fills it. Now on the day of Pentecost, that same holy fire came and rested on every individual Christian. It's as if the whole church now is the burning bush of God's presence. The whole church is the theophany, the manifestation of the presence of God. Awesome. Awesome. God's fire filling his church. Now, of course, today when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we may not hear that audible sound of the wind, and we may not see the visible flames of fire. On the one hand, those physical signs were quite unique to the day of Pentecost, but Exactly the same power and exactly the same presence fills every Christian when the Holy Spirit fills them. The important thing about the physical signs was that they were revealing the spiritual presence. Today we are hosting the tornado of God's presence, the furnace of his holiness. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that is who has entered into your life. That is awesome. Now that takes Christianity immediately beyond just being a fact or a textbook religion to a meeting with an awesome God. You know, it is possible that maybe some of us here today, God for us, if you like, is some facts that we've read about or heard about, an opinion that we hold strongly. But you know, when you actually meet him, it changes everything. The awesome presence of God is an encounter in the name of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, that means our facts, our opinions, seem to fall very silent compared to his majesty. One of our sons, um, like I suppose every boy, went through a phase of being fascinated by dinosaurs. And in particular, the bigger and more ferocious the dinosaur, the more he was interested. So his interests settled on the T-Rex, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And he learned numerous facts about T-Rexes. He could tell you how big a T-Rex's tooth was, how tall they were, how powerful they were. It was all facts. And he had a lot of bravado with it. You know, he was kind of showing off about these facts. Until one day, I remember thinking, well, if he likes dinosaurs, I knew where I'd take him. So I took him to the Natural History Museum. 
And there in London, if you've ever been, you can come into one space. It's a, it is a brilliant experience. You come through a sort of dark corridor and emerge into a room where there they have created, in the middle of this room, a life-size model of a T-Rex. Animated and moving, breathing sort of imaginary fire. Here is a T-Rex as good as you're going to see one. And the interesting thing was, as my son came into that room, fascinated by T-Rexes, knowing all the facts, the one place where he had nothing to say about T-Rexes <laughs> was in front of the T-Rex. He fell totally silent. His eyes and mouth wide open with just sheer awe. He'd moved beyond the facts to the meeting, to the encounter. You know, early Christianity, as it's meant to be today, moves beyond the facts and opinions to an awesome encounter that leaves us in awe of God. The first thing then, if we're to be full of awe, is we need to meet the awesome God. And having met him, then we will indeed be full of awe, or indeed we will be awful people. That is actually my second point today, is I want to help us to live an awful life. Now, I'm sure that's not what you expected to hear about as you came to church today. You know, we're here as Kingsgate Church to help you live an awful life. It's funny how words change their meaning, isn't it? Apparently, when uh, Sir Christopher Wren had, had overseen the building of St. Paul's Cathedral, Queen Anne went to visit it, and as she experienced the atmosphere of St. Paul's, She paid a great compliment to Sir Christopher Wren. He took it as a compliment. She said, it is awful. (laughs) Of course, what she meant was, it's full of awe. The architecture that you've built as you come in creates an atmosphere filled with awe. So I do want to encourage us today, however strange it may sound, to, to live an awful life. Not an awful life, but an awful life. Amen? How can we do this? Well, firstly... We need to live with holy fear. Verse 43 that we're focused on today, everyone was filled with awe, is actually best literally translated, fear came upon every soul. You know, I believe in life there are two types of fear. There are negative fears, unhealthy or hurtful fears, and there's a good fear, a holy fear. And here's the irony, many of us experience too much of the negative fears because we don't experience enough of the positive fear. Let me explain what I mean. By negative fears, I mean the fear of man and what other people think of us. That can be like a plague in your soul that ruins your life, worried sick about what other people think, stopping us from ever being free to live for God. The fear of man, the fear of the future, Worrying, feeling anxiety about the what-if scenarios. What if this happens? What if that happens? The fear of death. These, these are negative fears, and they torment people, right? But on the other hand, there is a positive fear, and it's called in the Bible the fear of the Lord. It's not a fear like a phobia or a terror that drives you away from the object. It's actually a fear that draws near It means you want to come closer to God, but with a certain reverence, with a holy awe and trembling. Now, when we experience that kind of fear, it's because we're coming into the presence of a God who is awesome. He is not to be taken lightly. It's possible to become almost over-familiar with what it means to meet God. We are not talking here about a local village God. We're talking about the God of heaven, the God of the tornado, the God of fire. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I love having fire in our homes so long as we treat that fire with respect and keep it in its rightful place, right? We've just had a, a log fire installed in our home. And on a winter's evening, it's a beautiful thing. It, it, it warms your heart to have fire in your home. But I do say to my children, but don't you ever play with matches. Because if you play with fire, you'll be burnt. You know, in the same way, the writer of Hebrews says, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. In chapter 5 of the book of Acts, the story takes a very serious turn as you find this couple called Ananias and Sapphira and they obviously experienced the presence of God. They were part of the church, but they just became a bit casual with it, got a bit over familiar with it. They told a lie about something that they'd done. You know, by the end of the day, they were dead. And it says that great fear came upon everyone. I bet it did. <laughs> I bet it did because everyone had a fresh reminder, you don't play games with God. He's a beautiful presence to invite into your life like fire, but don't play with him. It may be even today that some of us are conscious of areas of our lives where we've allowed almost something a bit complacent, a bit casual, a bit carefree with God. Maybe even specific areas of compromise. I want to encourage you, today would be a good day to repent. To put yourself right with God. You don't want to get on the wrong side of him. You want to have him in your life as a holy fire that purifies us. Now when we do, when we have this fear of the Lord, as I said earlier, the wonderful thing about it is it sets us free from those other fears. When you allow in the sense of holy reverence for God, you become far less influenced by what other people think of you. You've got a bigger concern in your life. Imagine, for example, you were told that you had to walk through a jungle in which there would be many dangers, many potential threats to your life. But as you go through this jungle, you're then told, don't worry, because you are going to go through the jungle riding on the back of a lion. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? You, you would have had many things to fear. Now you've only got one thing to fear, the lion, right? <laughs> If you live with a healthy fear of the lion, don't worry about those other fears. They will not harm you. Amen. You know, that is life, isn't it? We, we are called to walk through a dangerous urban jungle. But if God is for us, who can be against us? The fear of the Lord drives out those lesser fears and brings a new peace to our souls. I want to encourage us then, firstly, to live with a holy fear. Secondly, to live with great expectations. Great expectations. Notice that the next phrase, everyone was filled with awe. What comes next? Many miracles and signs were performed in this church. You see, when we have an atmosphere in which the awesome presence of God is felt, when everyone is filled with awe and expectation, you can be sure that many miracles will follow. Because in that atmosphere, God can do awesome things. When we are filled with awe, we come to know a God who is so awesome, he can do awesome things. You know, if we think big about God, we can then begin to think big about what God can do. This early church gathered with a sense of anything could happen. There was great expectations. 
they came together knowing anything could happen, and so everyone was on tiptoe, waiting and expectant for God to move. What a great atmosphere that would be to be in, an atmosphere of great expectations. What did happen next? Well, the very next passage of the book of Acts, chapter 3, a paraplegic is healed in the name of Jesus. And the whole of Jerusalem becomes stopped by this extraordinary power of God that's displayed among the early Christians. You know, we are meeting in the presence today of an awesome God. And once we get a holy fear about that in our souls, the next thing that comes is a great expectation. Our God can do anything. Now, already, you know, this is a church in which this is happening. Already we are seeing miracles. We are seeing lives transformed. There is a great expectation in this church. It's quite special, in fact. Just the other week, I was... After the service, a guy came up to me, and you could see that something had happened, the sort of wonder on his face and in his eyes. And what it was is that as he was praying or being prayed for, his deaf ear was healed. And he was speaking very loudly as if to astonish. I can hear, you know, the sense of wonder that God is doing miracles in our midst. This is a quite special thing to be part of. You know, it's possible, nevertheless, to grow up in an environment like this and think it's normal. (laughs) Imagine someone who'd grown up in Disneyland. They'd think that Donald Duck was normal. But the visitors know that's pretty special. I'm not comparing any of the leaders here in this church to Donald Duck. but, (laughs) But what I am saying is when you're a visitor in this church, you realize this is something special. May we never become over familiar with what God is doing here. Never lose the wonder. And at the same time, may we also appreciate there is so much more that God can do. Great expectations for an intensified sense of God's presence. You you look at the early church in the book of Acts and think this is way beyond even what we are seeing. We are seeing miracles. The phrase here is that they saw great miracles. We're seeing dozens of people baptized. They saw thousands of people baptized. We're seeing people added on a weekly basis to this church. It was daily in this place. You know, there is so much more to pray for and seek God for, isn't there? Great expectations. And when you read church history, you read of periods of time where God, in revival power, visited his people and extraordinary things happened. Last week, Dave talked about the 18th century. I was thinking this week about the turn of the 20th century, even closer to home. In Wales, there was a revival of God's presence. In 1904-05, God visited his people in power, and it was quite extraordinary. My father actually interviewed a lady before she died who was present at one of the meetings where the revival presence of God came in. And these are her words. She says, one night in particular, as we were singing, God came into our chapel, and you could feel it. His presence moved across the room. People were standing, praying, crying, wherever he crossed the room. And then later she says, you'd go out into the night and you'd hear people shouting to God for mercy. Others you could hear praying in the fields. The whole atmosphere in our community was changed. I read that and I think, oh God, revive us again. Intensify your presence. Magnify your presence in this place. You know, the social effects of this spiritual revival also were extraordinary. You can see on the screen here a picture that actually appeared in the Western Mail. This was in the secular newspaper documenting the fact that miners 
who were not known for their spirituality, miners were meeting in prayer meetings, in underground, in the mines, overcome by the presence of God whilst at work. A more humorous aspect, you can see off to the side one of the ponies that worked in the mines. Apparently, the ponies could no longer understand the miners because up until now they'd always sworn at them and now they weren't swearing anymore. (laughs) They'd lost their ability to communicate because they were so transformed by God's convicting presence. You know, there are stories of judges being made redundant because crimes weren't being committed. Whole new facilities had to be built to house the tools that were returned by people who'd stolen them, but were now under conviction and brought them back. There's even a a rugby cup in a region called Llanelli, where in, in the revival year, there is no name on the cup for who won the tournament. The tournament didn't happen because no one was interested in the rugby. They were all so consumed with God. I'm not sure that, that that is a good thing. I think that's, we want revival, but not that much. Um, surely we still play rugby when there's, no. No, God, bring it that strong. That, they, that we would lose interest, our culture, and even other things, in a sense of God's awesome presence. May we live with great expectations for what this awesome God can do. Holy fear, great expectations. And then finally, fresh wonder. As they met, they met with a sense of wonder, not complacency, but wonder. Here the message translates it this way, everyone was in awe. So the interesting thing is this, they were actually doing the same things that we're doing today. If you'd been in this revival church, what you'd have had is you'd have listened to sermons, like you are right now, the apostles' teaching. You'd have into prayer meetings. You would have taken communion. You would have given your money. You would have served faithfully. They were doing the same stuff as us, but they were doing it with a, just a sense of wonder. It was the atmosphere that was so different. The intense presence of God left them feeling privileged every time they got to meet with him. The religious cobwebs had been blown away by that tornado of God's Spirit. Cold hearts had been set on fire by those flames of holy love. And as a result, everyone was filled with wonder, with awe. You know, there is a danger, isn't there, that you can go through motions when it comes to religion. You can become over Many years I've been preaching sermons. Many years you may have been listening to sermons. It's possible just to drop into a mode. You know, today I've been preaching with a fresh sense of fear and trembling before God. This is not just an action of religion. We are in the presence of a consuming fire. With everything that we do, may we recover a sense of wonder that we get to do it in the first place. That as we worship, as we pray, as we meet together in small groups and in big groups, this is awesome. I was listening to a podcast that uh, a friend had recommended by NASA, and it was describing um, NASA having to change their scheduling for astronauts' work on the International Space Station. Uh, Previously, they'd they'd created schedules that just built in time for the astronauts to leave the space station when they were working on the outside, on the external parts, to leave the space station, and they worked out the time. You know, say one of them was being sent out to fix a bolt that needed to be replaced. They think, well, that should take him about half an hour. But they were finding consistently that everything was taking longer than it was meant to. 
Half an hour should have been, but it was an hour before that bolt was done. And they realized this. The reason was, for the first period, when the astronauts stepped out of the ordinary atmosphere into the extraordinary atmosphere of space, they couldn't do any work. <laughs> they were in a state of awe and wonder at where they were. It took them a long time before they got round to fixing the bolt. So NASA has now built into their schedule, proformers, awe time. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Awe time. We need to allow 15 minutes of awe before the guy's going to fix the bolt because of where he is. Now, I just sense we need to build in some awe time to our Christian lives. It, it might be that we're just reading a short chapter of the Bible, but may we build in a bit of awe time. This is God's holy word. It may be that we're just arriving for the start of a service, but then on the other hand, we're coming into the presence of God. We might need a bit of time to get ready for that. Or time that we may never grow over familiar with the awesome presence of God. Amen. That we may never lose the wonder that we get to do this at all. Everyone was filled with awe. Lord God, we pray to you today. Father, we ask that you would recover in our hearts this sense of wonder and awe and reverence. We look at this early church and we say, oh God, revive us again. Intensify your presence among us even today that we might experience holy fear, great expectations and fresh wonder. Father, I pray especially for those who today may have been playing with God. They came in knowing that their life has been casual with God. I pray today, Lord, that you would give them a fresh sense of a holy fear that would drive out all those other fears and leave them with an awe and reverence for you. Lord, I pray for those of us today who need a miracle. I pray for, for great expectations to fill our hearts that you can do extraordinary things. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who've been here a while, who've done this many times before, Lord, where we have grown too familiar, I pray in the name of Jesus for fresh wonder, for all time, times where we are just silent and stunned by the awesome place that you bring us to. We are not just today standing in this earthly realm. But like those astronauts, we are stepping out into another atmosphere, the heavenly realm. Here we join with angels today, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here in worship, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are standing on holy ground. How awesome is this place. So, Father, across all our centers, we pray, let everyone be filled with awe in the presence of our awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen.